Welcome to the Students of Surgery podcast series, where we shed light on common surgical topics. And good afternoon and welcome to everyone. Today we have our discussion around acute abdomens and surgery. And who's joined us today is Dr. Barbara Monzon, who's the head of uh, trauma surgery at Steve Beaker Academic Hospital. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Brandt, for inviting me. Great. So let's get started. Um, what is an acute surgical abdomen? Right. Um, an acute abdomen is a syndrome. It's a syndrome of acute onset of pain and is mostly characterized by progressive worsening of symptoms. The majority of cases will require surgical intervention to control the disease process to avoid complications and death. And what are the most common causes of an acute abdomen? All right, the list of uh, causes for acute abdomen is enormous, it's very long. Um, the, there are pathologies within the abdominal cavity and the retroperitoneal space, which are the most common ones. And there are extra abdominal pathologies and even medical conditions that can cause uh, or simulate an acute abdomen. The most common ones are acute appendicitis, acute cholecystitis, perforation of the duodenal uh, ulcers and gastric ulcers, acute pancreatitis, and diverticulitis. And also we have mechanical obstructions and vascular accidents such as obstruction of the mesenteric circulation causing bowel necrosis. And what would be some of the extra abdominal causes of an acute abdomen? Okay, extra abdominal causes of acute abdomen or those ones that simulate, um, simulate an acute abdomen are sometimes very difficult to diagnose because they can overlap with uh, the surgical pathology in the abdomen. But commonly we'll see lower pneumonia, pleural effusions, Patients can have acute pericarditis or angina. They can have infections and they can have medical conditions that can simulate an acute abdomen such as typhoid fever, uremia, um, hypercalcemia, porphyria. So as I said, they sometimes are very difficult to diagnose because they are overlapping with the, uh, with the surgical condition. And which of those surgical conditions would be life-threatening? Well, I think that's, a, that's an interesting question because nearly all the, the, the conditions that produce an acute abdomen and require surgery if the surgery is not done can be life-threatening. The most common one obviously are the infectious uh, diseases and the vascular obstructions, so acute appendicitis, acute cholecystitis, pancreatitis, uh, necrosis of the intestine, mechanical bowel obstruction, especially those ones associated with colonic tumors are the ones that uh, we see commonly causing uh, severe disease. So when you're seeing a patient in the emergency surgery rooms, what, what kind of information do you want to know from the patient or the patient's family about the, the abdominal pain? Okay, so abdominal pain is because it's the key factor or the key element in, uh, in, the, in the diagnosis of, of an acute abdomen. You need to insist on getting a proper history uh, about the, the pain and, and the pain, the situation of the pain. The most important thing that you need to find out is when did the pain started? and how long has the pain been with the patient. So how, what is the duration of the pain is, is key in the diagnosis of an acute abdomen because as we say, uh, is an acute onset disease. And the majority of patients will present to you within six to 24 hours of the onset of the disease. A patient who presents to you with an acute, with a, with a, a pain in the abdomen that has been there for two, three weeks or four weeks, usually doesn't have an acute abdomen. The other thing that you need to ask is how did the pain started? 
So some, some, some situations, some pathologies will present with sudden onset of pain. In the case of perforations, for example, you get gastroduodenal also will present uh, with very acute onset of pain. But the most common one is this low progressive uh, development and worsening of the pain caused by infections or inflammatory conditions within the abdominal cavity. The other things that you need to find out is what, what, how does the patient describe this pain to you? There are different type of pains, and this is what we call the character of pain. So they can be colicky, they can be constant, they can have a feeling of burning or a feeling of throbbing within the abdominal cavity. They can be severely agonizing pain, and this is the, this is the pain that we see in patients with mesenteric ischemia and bowel necrosis. And uh, the the important part is that this pain is usually worsening. So the patient will the patient will always describe that the pain is getting worse unless you obviously treat them with uh, medication. The other two or three important things that you need to find out is whether this pain is radiating or not. Radiated pain is pain that is uh, is neurogenic in in uh, in nature, and is related to the, the uh, uh, development of of the structures in the abdomen. Uh, the most common sites of, of referral pain are the shoulders, when there is diaphragmatic irritation, especially caused by perforated duodenal ulcers or, or a blood in the abdominal cavity that is irritating the diaphragm. Uh, some pains can refer to the back. In the case of uh, bile disease, biliary disease, pancreatitis or triple A's or abdominal aortic aneurysms, you can have uh, pain referred to the flanks in the case of renal disease. And you can have sometimes central chest pain that you can confuse with a myocardial infarct and uh, pain referred to the groins, which is common in, in renal disease. The other thing is, uh, and there are certain diseases that will have migratory pain, and the most common one is the acute appendicitis, where the pain usually starts in the epigastric or periumbilical area, and six to eight hours later, the pain will then localize into, into the right iliac fossa when the, the complete inflammatory process uh, irritates the peritoneal cavity in that area. And the other common one that we see is migration from the flank pain into the groin when you've got a stone in one of the ureters causing a, a ureteric uh, uh, colic. The things that you need to finalize asking, uh, as finally ask the, the patient is whether there are aggravating factors for that pain, uh, especially moving, coughing, or breathing, which is in the case of peritonitis, the patient tries to stay very, very still in bed, doesn't move, because if he moves, it will be, be painful, and whether the food may be an irritating factor or an onset factor for the pain. In the case of biliary disease, for example, Pepe eating fatty foods will de de develop pain in the right upper quadrant and, and that will be a problem. And the last thing you want to find out is whether how do you relieve the pain, whether the pain is relieved by medication or whether the pain is relieved spontaneously, which is not common in, in acute abdomen because we, as we said before, the pain is usually worsening. Whether there is pain gets relieved by vomiting, which is commonly seen in, in a small bowel obstruction, so patients distend the abdomen, vomit, and, and they feel a little bit, bit a little bit better. And obviously, patients who, who had renal disease may just relieve the pain by just passing urine and, and, and feeling better. Wow, that is a, a lot around abdominal pain, which is clearly a, a key feature of acute abdomens. Are there any other common presenting symptoms and signs in patients who have an acute abdomen? Yeah, uh, because the majority of these patients will have a pathology within the abdominal cavity, um, the things that we see commonly are nausea, vomiting, constipation. Some of these patients may have diarrhea. 
And in, in cases with um, infections in the urinary tract, patients will present with urinary symptoms. And one thing is important in the, in, in the development of acute abdomen is the presence of fever. The issues with vomiting, nausea and vomiting are, are key because most of these pathologies will present with, uh, with nausea and vomiting. Uh, the most common one, obviously, are the mechanical obstructions of the intestine, the biliary colicobiliary diseases, uh, kidney disease, uh, either stone or pyelonephritis will, will do that. Pancreatitis is a disease that presents with profuse vomiting. And patients who, um, who have had a alcohol, um, uh, profuse alcohol intake can have a gastritis and also present with, uh, with a lot of vomiting. Constipation is, um, is usually caused by... Uh, either a mechanical problem in the intestine, which is the case of the bowel obstruction, or something that irritates the bowel, uh, a, toxic, a toxin or a neurogenic problem. Uh, the most common causes that we see of constipations are obviously the mechanical obstruction. So patients with uh, mechanical obstruction from tumors, mechanical obstruction from an incarcerated or a strangulated hernia, uh, adhesions from following surgery, but also you can see patients who present with constipation because they've been using uh, medication that uh, reduces the motility of the intestine. And one thing that we see uh, with, with a lot of frequency is elderly patients presented with fecal impaction. Diarrhea uh, is also seen in, in some of the patients with, uh, with uh, acute abdominal pain. The most common causes are usually enteritis and colitis, which are diseases that doesn't require, usually don't require any surgery, but you can see overflow diarrhea in patients with partial bowel obstructions, especially colonic tumors that can, that can have that kind of symptom. The other important thing with the diarrhea is to find out, especially in elderly patients, whether this diarrhea alternates with constipation, which is a warning sign of a potential colonic cancer. Urinary symptoms um, are usually painful micturation, burning uh, during passing urine, uh, and then the, 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 the horrible ones, hematuria, puria, and, and tenesma, and also the presence of foul smell in urine, which will may indicate a, a severe pyelonephritis. And of note, it's important to remember that there are some intra-abdominal processes that can produce urinary symptoms uh, in the case of a retrocecal appendicitis or a psoas abscess, and diverticular abscess patients can present with urinary symptoms in absence of a, a urinary tract infection. And lastly, uh, the most, the, one of the most common uh, uh, findings that we, we get is the presence of fever, uh, which in, in case of the fever, we just need to determine when did the fever start, how long has the patient been having the fever, what is the grade of that fever, so whether it is a low-grade fever, which is less than 38 degrees, or whether it is a high-grade fever, which is more than 38 and a half degrees, and especially the character of the fever, whether it's a steady fever or constant, whether it's spiking, which signifies an intra-abdominal abscess or an infective process, or if, if whether this fever presents at specific times of the day, which can be associated with chronic inflammatory diseases as well, and whether the fever res results spontaneously or with medication. Those are the common things that we see. What would be some of the key questions that you would ask in the history from the patient or in the situation where the patient cannot really answer the, the relatives of the patient? Okay, so obviously we need to, apart from finding out about the, the, the characteristics of the pain, there are things that are 
general and relevant to, to any patient and especially the, whether the patient have medical conditions and whether these medical conditions are getting treatment. What are the common medical conditions that we wanted to know about is diabetes, renal failure, liver failure and cardiac failure. So those are the most important ones. Whether the patient have had uh, any previous abdominal surgery and what was the reason for that abdominal surgery and when, uh, especially in cases with suspected bowel obstruction. Uh, the other important thing is to find out whether there's been any trauma, whether there's significant trauma involving a motor vehicle accident or patient has had a, a interpersonal relationship resulting in trauma to the abdomen and also what is the patient normal occupation. The reason for that is there are certain occupational risks that can be a conditional for an abdominal pain. Not something that we don't see commonly, but in, in, in many years ago, lead uh, poisoning was a problem in, uh, in many countries in the world. And it's important to know whether the patient has had any contact with that. Specific questions that you wanted to know, obviously, we've already touched on that. Well, when did the pain started? Where are where, where what are the associated signs and symptoms that the patient is having? Whether the patient has had similar episode of these patients in the past, and what was the investigations, if any investigations were done? Uh, in female patients, it's important to find out about the frequency of menstrual uh, periods and when did it happen. Whether the patient had excessive bleeding during the uh, the, the menstrual period, whether it's painful intercourse, about pregnancies and about. Prior cesarean sections on these patients. And obviously, uh, something that sometimes we forget to ask the patients is whether there are predisposing factors. And so, with all of this information that you've given us, what would be your approach to a patient in the emergency department with an acute abdomen? Okay, so there's two things important when you are, when you're seeing a patient in an emergency department. And the first thing is you need to make sure that you are not. Uh, missing information from the patient. So you need to have a proper history taking and you have to be very careful doing your physical examination. For the purpose of this conversation, I'm just gonna say that there are five important steps that you need to do uh, when you're assessing the patient. The first one, first step, which is I think in acute abdomen, probably 50% of the, of, of, of the whole exercise is the initial assessment, which in, includes uh, history and physical examination uh, and that in most, most cases we will get an idea of what the diagnosis is. The next step will be the resuscitation process which is aimed at reversing shock and improving organ fusion. Once your patient has been resuscitated and you have an idea what you need to do with your patient then you need to investigate your patient to ascertain the primary diagnosis and the differential diagnosis on the thing. The next step will be then to prepare the patient for surgery because as we said before, most of these, these pathologies will, will require a trip to the operating, operating theater for surgical control of the problem. And the last step is obviously, what are you gonna do with this patient after surgery? Now, it is important in, in cases, especially very ill patients, is important for the surgeon who's treating this patient using the information from the history and the physical examination to determine whether the patient needs surgery or not. That's the most important thing when managing an acute abdomen. Finding out what is the primary pathology is a secondary issue. If you need to operate on your patient, the primary pathology can be found while you are exploring the abdomen. You need to define needs of surgery, yes or no. That's the most important part. I think that is some very sound advice there. Any other special investigations that you would do in addition to your clinical exam? There are several things that you need to do. 
when I say several, these, these things, they, you need to decide whether they are going to obtaining investigations or ordering investigations in patients with an acute that are going to change the management of this patient. But there are basic things, basic, basic investigations that you need to do for every patient that is going to go to, uh, to especially to the ones who are going to go to the operating theater. For ease of understanding, we're going to divide them into, into three special things. One, the blood tests that are compulsory for every patient that goes uh, he's, he's assessed for a suspected acute abdomen, a special blood test that might be required in a patient, and then special investigations in the case of radiology investigation, etc. So the blood test that must always be done for a patient with a suspected abdomen, uh, hemoglobin, Y-cell count, and a differential count. Here you need to look for anemia and leukocytosis with a left shift, especially in infected processes. Urea, electrolytes, and creatinine are essential because you need to know whether your patient is dehydrated and has renal dysfunction. You need to have a C-reactive protein as a marker of inflammation in the body. You need to have a urinalysis using, using a dipstick or a, or a strip test, uh, mostly to exclude renal pathology, looking for nitrates, ketones, and blood in the urinary uh, analysis. You need to do a serum amylase, not because you want to do a, a specific diagnosis of acute pancreatitis, because amylase is not specific for acute pancreatitis, but you need to have an idea of what is happening with the pancreas of the patient and whether there are other pathologies in there that may elevate the, the amylase as well. And the last thing you need to do is an arterial blood gas analysis, especially on those very sick patients that may be shocked. Special blood tests are then guided by your findings of the physical examination. You may need to do a liver function test if your patient had a biliary disease. You need to have a procalcitonin if you think your patient is septic and you cannot make the heads or tail of your diagnosis. You can then do blood cultures, you can use urine cultures, etc. One thing is important in every patient, and I would probably say this, and some people will disagree with me, any patient older than 45 years old will require an ECG to exclude cardiac pathology, especially in our country. And then you can decide what you, you, how you're going to do your radiological investigations. And what kind of radiological investigations would you use if you decide to go that way? I think for me, in, in acute abdomen, there are four, four key radiological investigations. The first thing that you need to get is a chest X-ray. Direct chest X-ray, preferably. And the whole idea with the chest X-ray is that it will tell you whether there is free air underneath the diaphragm. And if there is free air underneath the diaphragm, your diagnosis is probably made for you. The next thing that you do with the chest X-ray is to exclude extra, extra abdominal pathology that can mimic an acute abdomen, which is very common, a, 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 a lobe pneumonia or a pleural effusion. The next thing you do is an abdominal X-ray. An abdominal X-ray is not done routinely in every single patient with an acute abdomen, but it will give you a hell of a lot of information when you're dealing with patients with bowel obstruction. Whether it's a small bowel or whether it's a large bowel obstruction, you will be able to see signs and symptoms, uh, uh, impressions of, of bowel obstruction. Then you choose to, do, to, to define in between your, the findings of the physical examination and the history you are taking from the patient, whether you need to do a sonar or whether you need to do a contrast-enhanced CT scan. Probably the sonar will be the first uh, line of investigation in any patient and the sonar will be uh, uh, very good for diagnosis of gallstones disease, liver diseases, intra-abdominal uh, abscesses and ascites, but it is not that specific and it, the sensitivity in some of the pathologies is not very good. So you cannot assess small bowel or large bowel, so whole organs you cannot assess properly with an abdominal ultrasound and then you need to then 
uh, go to the root of the CT scan. The CT scanning is very accurate, very sensitive and very specific for many pathologies within the abdominal cavity, will allow you to have proper anatomical diagnosis and will assist you with differential diagnosis and, and the definition of whether this patient needs surgery or not. So that, that those for me are the most important ones from investigation point of view. Would there be any contraindications to doing a CT scan? I mean, why not just scan everyone? No, of course not. Uh, you cannot scan everybody. Uh, and, and deciding to do a CT scan, the main contraindication uh, for patients with acute abdomen is renal dysfunction. So patients with have elevated urea and creatinine uh, cannot be scanned immediately because of the risk of toxicity from the contrast media that we need to inject. So uh, con contrast-induced nephropathy is the main problem for us. But also there are other risks that are associated with CT scanning. So as I said before, if you're going to order a CT scan, you need to be aware of what you're looking for, whether this CT scan is going to change the information that you're going to get from the CT scan is going to change your management of this patient because you remember you need to move the patient from a place of safety into the CT scan room. Second, you're going to be exposing this patient to very high doses of radiation and this is a costly exercise so the CT scans are very expensive so if you're going to use the CT scan you need to use it for a specific reason. Now in the scenario where you're in casualty you've taken your history your clinical examination you've done your special investigations and you've come to the conclusion that your patient has got an acute surgical abdomen most likely will require a laparotomy do you have a, a simple management approach for us that you would institute uh, to get the patient resuscitated and off to theater yeah um the the, the main thing is as as we said before is to determine whether the patient needs surgery or not. Once you've determined that your patient needs surgery or not, the next question that you need to ask is, do I need to resuscitate this patient further? Is this patient in shock? Yes or not? But as a simple approach, I would propose that there are 10 steps that you can follow uh, in the management of an acute abdomen. Once you've decided that your patient needs to go to theater, the first thing you need to put is in intravenous lines. Uh, sometimes you may need to put a CVP on this patient, especially if they are choked. The next step is to start intravenous fluids. And my recommendation would be to start with ringus lactate boluses, 250 to 500 milliliters every 30 minutes, and then you can reassess your clinical response. The next step is to insert a urinary catheter and a nasogastric tube for two reasons. The urinary catheter will allow you to monitor the urinary output of this patient, and that will be a sign uh, if a patient starts passing urine that your treatment is, is working correctly. And the nasogastric tube, especially on patients with bowel obstruction, will decompress the stomach and will make the patient feel better. And it will also allow you to prepare the patient uh, in a better way. The next thing is to give intravenous analgesia to the patient. Please don't shy away from, from giving pain medication to the patients. A patient that is pain-free will be more easily to manage. And also remember that pain is a myocardial depression. So a patient who's got severe pain will have hypotension that doesn't respond well to any of the treatment. And, and obviously it's a human right. We don't want anybody with pain. Next thing, if you are dealing with an infective process is the initiation of antibiotics. Uh, delaying an antibiotic treatment in, increases mortality in patients with sepsis. In, in acute abdomens, especially in, in acute surgical abdomens, our recommendation in general in South Africa is to use broad-spectrum antibiotics with good coverage for uh, gram-positive, gram-negative, and anaerobes. And the drug of choice would be augmenting, which is uh, uh, amoxicillin with clavulinate acids. Then the next step will be basic things. You need to order the blood tests and the radiological investigations that you want. And if you've done that, well and good. 
you need to continually monitor your vital signs. Why? Because you wanted to know if your treatment is, 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 is the, the, the patient is responding well to your treatment. And finally, once you are there, you need to have a plan of action. What are you going to do? What kind of surgery? When are you going to do the surgery? How are you going to perform the surgery? And if you've done the surgery, then where is your patient going to be in the postoperative period? That has been a very comprehensive overview of a very, very wide field. Um, thank you very much for that. Are there any concluding comments that you'd like to give our listeners? Yeah, I think I'm just going to, you know, some people will call this pearls of wisdom. I don't know if that is appropriate or not, but I'm just going to say some things that are they're always stuck in my mind. The first thing is that in many patients, the diagnosis of an acute abdomen is done by simply taking a proper history and doing a very, very good physical examination. The other thing is that you use special investigations very sparingly. If your clinical diagnosis is clear, don't waste time doing an unnecessary investigations. Take your patient to theater and operate on them. Before your patient is taken to theater, there are basic preparations that you need to do. The most important things are, one, you need to reverse the choke state. Two, you need to rehydrate your patient. You need to initiate antibiotics if a patient is infected. You need to give your patient analgesia. You need to monitor the response to the treatment. And most importantly, if you are going to operate on your patient, you need to obtain an appropriate consent. And then you need to have a plan on action, a plan of action that includes what surgery you're going to do, when you're going to do it, who's going to do the operation, who's going to assist to, where is the patient after the surgery, and whether you need to relook the patient or not. For me, the key thing in the diagnosis and management of an acute abdomen is the need to determine whether the patient requires an emergency operation. If your patient requires surgery, then and then your diagnosis is made. And that's the most important part of the management of the acute abdomen. Thank you very much. Um, it's been a very interesting half an hour and we look forward to you in, in future podcasts. Thank you very much. This edition of the Students of Surgery podcast has been produced by TuxFM. Visit www.tuxfm.co.za for young, fresh and relevant content. That was another edition of the Students of Surgery podcast series, where we shed light on common surgical topics.